episode 36. Today, I am speaking with Jarrett Tan, who is the CEO of Canopy Apps, and we're talking about the language barrier to outcomes. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I am speaking with Canopy Apps CEO, Jarrett Tan, and we are talking about the language barrier to health outcomes. Canopy Apps is a platform which is used by providers to communicate with patients who speak other languages. They have a pretty slick interface whereby common medical questions, terminology, phrases are stored inside the app so that a provider can very quickly tap on them and then show the patient or play the patient someone speaking the phrase or asking the question in the native language. One thing that I didn't realize about this is how exactly how important this is to patient outcomes. I mean, obviously, we all know that the patient's understanding of both their condition as well as their treatment is, of course, incredibly critical in the their ability to be adherent to that treatment and therefore has an immense impact on outcomes. But connecting the dots more closely, patients who don't speak English are 70% more likely to be readmitted into the hospital, for example, by improving or reducing, is probably a better way to put it, the language barrier, what can be accomplished is a reduction of time spent in the emergency room, a reduction of health disparities, a reduction of readmissions, and an improvement of patient satisfaction. This is what I speak with Jarrett about today. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Jarrett. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am excited to hear the origin story of Canopy Apps. How exactly did it come to be? How did you manage to find yourself in the CEO role? Canopy was started about two years ago uh, in 2012. Uh, well, I guess now it's three years. And it was started uh, as a project that was originally funded by the National Institutes of Health. And today we still continue to get some of that funding. The way I found myself in that role is that I was at Google at the time and I was doing business development and I was also building sales teams in different cities for Google. And these teams were to commercialize new technology that was coming out of Google. Um, so this was for the advertising space and then also did some business development work for search. And at that time, I was approached to join Canopy um, as the CEO because they were going going from a research and development phase to a product commercialization phase. For me, it just really resonated with me because uh, I'm the child of immigrant parents. And I came to this country when I was very, very young, but my parents you know, struggled to learn English. They tried their best. They know some broken English and like many, like many uh, immigrant stories, they worked really hard and on the side, they were trying to learn as much as possible. But ultimately, whenever they need to, needed to go to a doctor, or whenever they needed any kind of medical care, um, it was me and my brother who were bringing them to the hospital or to the doctor's office. 
It really resonated with me what Canopy was trying to do. Could you just describe really top line, what exactly is, is Canopy, Canopy Apps? Canopy is uh, a company that creates technology to help healthcare providers work with patients who do not speak English. Wherever there's a language gap, there is a barrier for patients to get really good quality healthcare. So Canopy creates technology to actually help doctors and nurses communicate with these patients and also help hospitals understand how patients who don't speak English in the U.S. are interacting with the hospital systems. Let's zoom in on on what Canopy looks like. So why don't we start with a patient experience? So say I'm a Chinese patient or a Russian patient and I have an emergency, I wind up in the hospital and this hospital is equipped with with Canopy apps. What happens? What what do I see from from my perspective? The, the right way to have this conversation is to talk about what happens now, today, versus what can potentially happen for Canopy if it was adopted at a hospital. So today, if I were a patient and I spoke Chinese in your, your example, I might come into a hospital and either bring my own family member, and that's a lot of times as children, to help me translate. Or if I don't have a family member, uh, the doctor or nurse would likely pull a, another bilingual healthcare provider that's on the floor, or they might just wing it and you know, not call any kind of translator or interpreter and try to you know, get by with hand gestures or you know, one of the things that we hear about all the time is doctors who are trying to speak with, you know, let's say Spanish-speaking patients are just speaking English louder, right? They're trying to like enunciate their words, try to get them to understand it, which is kind of, it's funny, but it's also like, it's, it's sad, right? That's like, that's not how it should happen. So it's pretty much the universal it, solution though. So, right, right, you know, right. just say it louder, <laughs> enunciate better. Understand what I'm saying to you. <laughs> or the, you know, the right way to do it is to call interpreters. There are trained interpreters Sometimes they are in-person interpreters at hospitals, and a lot of times they are telephone interpreters that hospitals contract with. According to law, according to Title VI federal law, and also according to the Joint Commission, whenever a non-English speaking patient walks into the door of a hospital or a clinic, they are supposed to get access to an interpreter to help them understand what is going on. But according to studies, only 15, so one five, percent of patients who need interpreters actually get interpreters. The rest of the time is, are things that I mentioned that are practiced, like getting a family member to translate or getting another healthcare provider to translate, getting front desk staff, janitors, whoever can come in and kind of just fill that hole. Those are the people who are typically used. So that's what typically happens today. About 85% of the time, uh, patients are not getting interpreters, and the other 15% of the time, doctors and nurses and other healthcare providers are calling interpreters for these patients. And that leads to things like longer stays in hospitals, higher test costs uh, for these patients, lower satisfaction, more readmissions, lower adherence to care, and all these things are proven in studies, that if you are a non-English speaking patient, and you walk into a U.S. healthcare facility, just for example, you're 70% more likely to be readmitted for the same condition. These are communication problems. Canopy's goal and what we're doing is to provide technology in the hands of doctors and nurses to make communicating accurately across any language instant and painless. 
what Canopy is, is a application that can live on your iPhone, it can live on your Android phone, it can live on your tablets, and it has a library of tens of thousands of medical phrases that are already translated into right now 15 languages. And if you need to, let's say, ask a patient about their pain, you, you want to give them a pain scale. And just to interject for a sec, when you say you, you mean the provider would have the app on the phone, not the patient. The provider would have the app on the phone. Okay, yes. got it. So the doctor or the nurse or the PA was using Canopy with the patient. I mean, they can use it to do procedures. They can use it to take histories. They can use it to talk about you know, radiology results. They can use it to talk about a plan or do a reassessment. All of these phrases are transited by people. They're accurate and they're seamless. They're painless to use. And they cover, in our, in our studies and talking to actual healthcare providers who use Canopy, they cover about 75% of the kinds of conversations that actually happen at the point of care. The other 25% are things that you really do need an interpreter for, right? Like if you're doing a consent or if you're talking about DNR, you don't want to leave that up to something that is electronic and you know, just, just the technology. You want a person in the room or you want a person on the phone. So what Canopy does for that is we actually link you up to telephone interpreters at the touch of a button. Okay, so I have a bunch of questions for you, my friends. Um, the, the, the first one is just a kind of a, a comment. I mean, when you said 70% more likely to be readmitted, to be perfectly frank, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. There's so many, just, just study after study, which shows that the level of a patient's understanding of their condition and their treatment is such a major predictive factor of outcomes. I mean, if a patient doesn't even understand the language that the doctor is speaking and or they're relying on a, you know, a seven year old to um, or the janitor <laughs> to, to translate whatever that treatment is, I can't imagine that it just really does not appear to be a plan for successful outcomes. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And I think what happens in a lot of cases is that medical care is given but there are very subtle things to tell a patient that will prevent something like a readmission, right? So even telling a patient, you know, it's okay if this, if you're sore here for the next three days, that's what's expected, you know, after a patient has some kind of surgery. That's something very simple to tell a patient, right? You should get an interpreter for that, but we have that kind of content in Canopy that if you don't have access to an interpreter easily, and that barrier is typically so high for the doctor or nurse that they might just say, you know what, I'm not going to call the interpreter. I'll try to wing it. I'll try to you know, write on a piece of paper three and days and hurt. Okay. Like I'll try to just wing it and try to communicate to this to the patient in my own way. We try to make communicating that kind of information so easy that it doesn't make any sense to not communicate it. And I think a lot of that simple communication is what's actually driving things like higher readmissions. And so you can, as a doctor you can, or a nurse, you can provide the greatest level of care, the greatest quality of care known to man. But ultimately, if you miss these very subtle points that you need to communicate to the patient, there are going to be adverse outcomes. And so let's talk about how that library works. Is it like Google Translate that I type into my phone in a box, you know, what I want to say in English, and then the app will translate it? How does this work? 
Google Translate is really, really interesting. I think in 10, maybe 20 years, it'll get to a point where we can rely on it for things that are what we call mission critical. So mission critical is like if you're dealing with somebody's health, somebody's life. So medicine is really mission critical, right? But there are other things that are mission critical as well, like legal, military translations for those kinds of industries cannot be wrong. We cannot afford to have 1% an incorrect translation. So for, for us, we take a completely different approach than Google Translate, whereas Google Translate, you can kind of freeform it, you can enter in exactly what you want to be translated. It translates it, but ultimately, you don't know whether or not it's correct or, or incorrect, right? Because you don't know what's coming out the other side. Um, there have been studies done on this where more than 50% of Asian languages that were put into Google Translate for medicine were incorrect when it was translated. And then for European languages, it's better, but it's still close to about 60% correct and about 40% incorrect. So what we do is we actually take thousands, tens of thousands of medical phrases that are commonly communicated between a healthcare provider and a patient, and we get them translated by uh, professional translators. These translations have been vetted by multiple people. So if you want to say to somebody, can you point to where the pain is or take this medication three times a day after meals, all of these phrases are translated into 15 languages multiple times, and we know that they are correct. But how does it actually work? So I'm a doctor, you know, or, a, you know, the, the healthcare provider. Do I, is the functionality similar to Google Translate? So I, I type in one box and then the correct mission critical translation appears someplace on my phone and I can turn it around and show it to the patient. Is that how it works? Yeah, that's basically how it works. You can type in, you can search for phrases. Um, so you can say, I want a phrase uh, about back pain and I want to ask the patient, when did the back pain start? So you can search for a phrase, you can find it in, in two clicks. You can tap on the phrase and then it'll show that phrase. It'll turn it from English to whatever language you need, whether it's Spanish or Chinese, or uh, both Mandarin and Cantonese, or Russian or Korean, you tap on that phrase and it ultimately translates that phrase in text and also speaks that phrase in audio to the patient. So for the patients who can who have the capacity to, to read, and not all patients have the capacity to read their own language, um, whether it's an educational issue or maybe they could be at the ophthalmologist and they can't open their eyes, um, they can listen to it. And for patients who are hard of hearing, they can read it. So you have native speakers that you know, you're not only translating it into the written translation, but you're also someone is actually reading those phrases as well. Right. right. It's actually kind of funny. I know exactly what you're saying relative to Google Translate. I, uh, I actually speak another language and we someone had typed in Google Translate that they had a master's degree and the what they actually wrote was I have a slave master which yeah. wasn't what they <laughs> wasn't exactly what right. they wanted to communicate. One, we were befuddled. Yeah, so we actually did a study on this ourselves where we took a bunch of medical terms and then put it into Google Translate and then showed it to people who actually spoke that language and also took those translations and translated back into English. And the translations were, one, they were, most of them were comical, but some of them were so, they were, they were almost right, but the subtlety was so dangerous that we can definitely see how it could uh, lead to adverse outcomes. One of them was, um, one of the phrases that we actually tested this on was, you, you have to take the entire course of antibiotics for this to work. And I did get translated to, you know, we translated into Spanish, and then we took that Spanish translation and 
put it back into translate it back into English using Google Translate. And what it said was, you have taken the entire course of antibiotics to work. So basically what you're telling the patient, instead of you have to take this, is you're telling them you've already taken it and, and it works. That's, that's a huge subtlety. The way that somebody much smarter than me at some point explained it to me uh, about how, why it is that Google Translate and other machine translation technologies have trouble with this kind of thing is if you take the phrase, Mary had a little lamb, and you think about what that means without any context, it's actually really difficult to understand what that means. So Mary had a little lamb. Does that actually mean that Mary owns a little lamb? Or does it mean that Mary ate a little lamb? Does it mean that Mary gave birth to a little lamb? It was used in the medical context. So all of those things are really subtle and machines are, do not have the capability to translate correctly those subtleties. Yeah, I heard um, the phrase that they always used to test things is time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. <laughs> that was supposed to be the ultimate machine learning translation yeah. test. I don't I, know I why I know that. <laughs> the machine was able to translate that correctly. I think we should have. Uh, <laughs> We should, yeah, we should. You should be amazed and scared. <laughs> I'm guessing that the way that your app works is that it organizes these phrases, these pre-recorded and, and pre-programmed phrases into categories. So maybe all the back pain phrases are together or the, all the heart attack relevant phrases are together. So if you're a doctor, you can kind of tick down the list and not, it, am I guessing right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So let's I'll give you an example. Let's say you are a OB-GYN and you need to do a post-op exam. So in three clicks in the app, you can actually find all of the phrases for a post-op exam. So you click on post-op post-op exam in the app and it'll give you the 10 phrases that are said most often by a physician during a post-op exam. So phrases like, you know, I need to take a look at your abdomen. Does it hurt when I push here? I'm going to take a look at the incision to see if it's healing well, you know, looks clean and dry, or, you know, I think there's some problems when you take care of this. And then, you know, phrases like, does it hurt when I squeeze your calf? So all these phrases are things that are said by doctors to patients during that exam. And we have it already digitized. It's in a list. It's in, a, it's in the correct order. You just tap one of those phrases. It translates to the patient in that language. And then if the patient wants to respond, there's actually an entire section of the app for patient response where it captures the common responses, for example, during a post-op exam. All of these, that, that conversation is facilitated via the app. And again, we're trying to make it so easy to use these translations that if a doctor or a nurse or a PA were in a situation where they were thinking, you know what, I can do this exam and kind of get away with it without doing any kind of translation or calling an interpreter. So I'm just going to do that instead of spending time looking for an interpreter, waiting for an interpreter, having a three-way conversation essentially with an interpreter in the middle. Uh, we want to take that barrier away so that when they think about whether or not they're going to get, uh, they're going to use um, translation interpretation with this patient, they, they can think, oh, well, I have something in my pocket that I can just pull out right now and start doing this post-op exam. You've mentioned a number of times now the barriers to getting a translator and then the dif the, just the difficulties that are inherent there. Could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, why is it so hard? Yeah, I think it, it, there's, a, there's a number of issues there. I think for most people, um, the natural tendency is to not want to be in a three-way conversation. So if you had to have an interpreter in the middle translating everything that you're saying, 
So basically everything you're saying is said two times. And then they are also translating everything that the patient is saying. So everything the patient is saying is said two times. And that is just a very time-consuming kind of conversation. And even though it should be had, I think the natural human response to that is if I don't need to absolutely have that, I'm just going to try and not do it and try to wing it. Um, so do you really think that most doctors, like say that there was a, a bevy of translators that were sitting you know, two doors down. Do you think that most doctors would choose not to use the translator despite their proximity? Or is there something else that's going on? I don't I, I don't want to say most would not choose to use them because I think healthcare providers are trying to do their best and they are not the enemy, right? They are they are the ones who are trying to provide the best care. And I, you know, my wife is a doctor. I wholeheartedly believe that she is trying to provide the best care to her patients. I know that she does, but it's a combination of things that really over time chip away at what I like to call like the morale of doctors or morale of nurses as well. That at some point you get to a point where things just become so ingrained in you as standard practice that you tend to, you start to forget, right? You start to forget why it is that you need to get an interpreter and you start to Tell yourself that, hey, you know what, for this like very simple thing that, that I'm going to need to tell the patient, I, that's, I'm not going to call an interpreter because it'll take five minutes to find an interpreter or to find out what a blue phone is right now and make that call and actually have that conversation. And instead, I'm just going to try and wing it. And over time, that becomes a habit. And that becomes something where you know, if you see other doctors and nurses doing the same thing, that you start to think, okay, well, you know what, everybody does this, so I think it's okay. That barrier is just the human element of what becomes a habit and then what ultimately is the, the reluctance to have a three-way conversation. And then also the tools that are available now are just more difficult to use than they need to be, like calling a telephone interpreter, figuring out what a telephone is to make that call. Most hospitals do actually have sufficient translation staff. It's just both the onus of a three-way conversation and the logistics perhaps of arranging for that translator to get in the right place. That yeah. I won't say that most hospitals have sufficient staff because a lot of hosp you know, most hospitals don't have in-person interpreters. And if they do, it might be for the most common languages like Spanish. And if they're lucky, Chinese, Mandarin or Cantonese. Uh, but ultimately, most hospitals rely heavily on telephone interpreters. So if you have in-person interpreter, you know, ideally what would happen is any non-English speaking patient walks through the door and you literally take a translator or interpreter and attach them to their hip, right? And they walk with them everywhere in the hospital. They stay with them 24 hours a day. They're staying with an, they're an inpatient. But ultimately that's not what happens, right? There, there are not enough resources for this. And also there are not enough good interpreters the quality of interpreters definitely varies from you know very good interpreters to interpreters that are not that great. So while many hospitals have resources where they have the ability to hire in-person interpreters, many hospitals, you know, most hospitals rely on telephone interpreters. And that is very cumbersome, right? Now to actually figure out where that telephone is, to make that call, or to actually just have a three-way conversation.
So before we get back to that, because I, I would like to talk a little bit more about how hospitals understand what their translation needs are and whatnot. But the first thing that I'd like to get to is who hires you? I mean, is it an individual provider that goes online and downloads your app or is is your app, does your app tend to be uh, a hospital wide investment? For Canopy, it's interesting because the users are not the customers. So the user is the doctor or the nurse or the patient who is um, having that conversation with the doctor or the nurse and responding uh, via Canopy. And they are not the ones who ultimately pay for Canopy. The administrators are the ones who pay for Canopy. And these are the administrators at hospitals, executive at, executives at hospitals and you know, larger clinics as well. And the reason why they pay for Canopy and why they hire us is that, one, we improve the quality of communication at the point of care. And again, that leads to things like lower readmissions, lowering lengths of stay in the ER, improving patient satisfaction. And then the second part is for the hospital administrators, it is a very easy way, an effective way for them to understand how their non-English speaking patient population is interacting with their healthcare system. And this is for many hospitals, a very large population and a growing population. So nationally, there's about a um, one in 10 chance that every patient who walks through the door of a hospital doesn't speak English. So 10% of America does not speak English. In cities like New York, 24% of people in New York City does not, do not speak English. California is about 25% of the entire state of California does not speak English. And it's similar numbers, about one in four in Texas and Florida. So these are things that we know, right? That Cal of course, California, New York, Texas, Florida is very, very diverse, but there's a growing uh, non-English speaking population in Minneapolis. There are a lot of Somali refugees who have been placed in Minneapolis by the US government. So this is kind of new, right? Now you have these growing populations of whether they're migrant workers or the refugees or just chain migration, chain, chain immigration into places where they've not seen the variety of languages that places like New York City or California have seen in the past and they're not prepared for this. So ultimately, hospital administrators want to use Canopy to understand how non-English speaking patients are interacting with their healthcare system um, in terms of who is walking through the door? What languages do they speak? What medical conditions do they have or chief complaints or diagnoses do they have? And when is this happening? So I'll, I'll give you a very clear example. You know, one of the hospitals in New York, they about 30% of their patient population does not speak English. And I think they told me at one point that they counted the number of languages that walk through a door. I don't know how they did this. Maybe they just had somebody stand in, the, in the, the front door of the ER and they counted 42 languages in a day. It's not just Spanish just coming through the door. It's 42 different languages for this hospital that's coming through the door. So what this hospital was doing was it was using Canopy. It, was, it gave Canopy to all of its healthcare provider staff and it collected data on who was coming through that door and what kinds of conversations were happening. At the end of this, um, you know, within a couple of months, we were actually able to tell the hospital administrators that we're seeing a trend where there are a bunch of Chinese Cantonese speaking patients um, who are coming in to the ER and they are having conversations with their healthcare providers about diabetes. And they're having conversations about diabetes, not about 
the things that should bring somebody to an ER about diabetes, but actually very mundane things that probably shows that these people should not be coming to the ER for this. So with this information in hand, the administrators were actually able to say, okay, well, there's a bunch of Chinese-speaking patients. They're coming into the ER. And actually, we knew that they were coming in on the weekends from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. the most. So what they did was they put some Chinese-speaking staff into that clinic at that time for the next few weeks and actually started to tell the patients, hey, for stuff like this, um, if you're having pain here or if you're feeling this, it's actually okay. You don't need to come to the ER for this or if you need a, you know, a refill of your prescription or a refill of insulin, you don't need to come to the ER to get that. Right? You can actually make an appointment or you can go into one of the clinics two blocks away, one of our clinics that actually triage patients uh, before they come into the ER, and you can go talk to them about that prescription. It's a way for hospital administrators to really, almost in real time, understand who is coming in, what language they speak, uh, what conditions do they have, and what time they come in, and do things like match their staff to that patient population, and do things like educate those patients on how to better use the healthcare system, and that ultimately impacts hospitals' bottom lines. What strikes me about what you're saying is that the app appears to have advantages beyond simply translation. And and I say this, for example, what you had been mentioning before about having the discharge questions that were presented in the right order, you know, that's kind of evidence-based medicine that a doctor can use to make sure that they're not forgetting a question. And what you're talking about now, about uncovering the fact that there are patients of, of any ethnicity or language really showing up in the ER talking about a specific condition that speaks to very current data, which would help advise appropriate use of uh, medical services. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's, that's really the reason why hospitals hire us. That yes, it's great that it improves communication between the healthcare provider and the patient. That is actually very hard to measure what the outcome of that is, right? Because a patient might not come back to the hospital because the doctor or the nurse told them these are reasons why you don't have to come back to the hospital. And if you see these symptoms, it's okay uh, not to come back to, to the hospital or to the ER. Or it could be that they really just, you know, they have nowhere else to go but to get, you know, get their prescription right now at the ER, right? And they really wanted their prescription because they, this was the only time they were free. And this is the only time they were not working today. Well, this week, and they didn't want to go and make an appointment at the clinic to get their prescription. There are many reasons why patients who don't speak English come back to ER for, for a reason that is not an emergency or why patients don't understand their care or don't understand their treatment plans. And improving communication you know, has been proven to help with health outcomes, but it's very difficult to actually go to a hospital and make the case that, hey, you know, if you had some better translation services, then it will definitely uh, reduce readmissions. And that is the only reason why readmissions will decrease. That I think if you told that to any hospital administrator, they would kind of laugh and say, you know what, there's like a billion, a million reasons why readmissions can increase or decrease. Translation might be one of them. But because we're able to actually show them, show the hospital administrators the data and say, these, we, this is not, this is not gray area. This is black and white. You had 16 uh, Chinese speaking patients 
who came in last night from the time of 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. and they talked to their doctors about combination of diabetes, back pain, chest pain, and we can actually see some of these conversations were very serious. Um, so they probably needed to come to the ER, but some of these conversations were very, very mundane, and I don't think they needed to come to the ER. And we see a trend here. That data is black and white, right? And if you were a hospital administrator, you look at that and you say, oh my God, there's a bunch of these patients who are coming in and literally talking about things that they should be going to their primary care doctor for and that could wait a week. Why are they coming into the ER? You know, I think we're not doing the right things to educate them. And we're not going to stop them right now from walking into the ER, right? Because you can't tell somebody you can't come into the ER because I don't think your condition is serious. They're going to walk into the ER. But what you can do is make sure that the next time they think about doing the same thing, coming in, again, to let's say fill a prescription that you you tell them you know now that you don't have to do this. You don't have to come to the ER for something as mundane as this the next time you can go somewhere else. And, and that's, that's the real value that hospital administrators are finding with Canopy. So what kind of hospitals or, and, and when, I, when we were talking about hospitals, I, I'm getting the feeling that it's more, more health system that, that we are, would be the correct terminology, or is it actually one single hospital that tends to hire you? It, it really depends. So usually what happens is we test it out at one hospital within a system, if it is a system. And then from that, we look at the results, you know, it's like a pilot, right? We look at the results at that one hospital. And then if, it, if there's real value and the insights that we're providing uh, the administrators there, then they roll it out to uh, the entire system. Do you see any sort of trend relative to what kinds of hospitals recognize language barriers as a significant enough factor in what they're trying to accomplish that they seek out a solution such as yours? In other words, is it primarily hospitals that are capitated in some way or being, uh, you know, have pay for, pay for value contracting? Are you talking about like value-based purchasing? It, well, what, what I mean is hospitals that are being paid for outcomes, for example, as opposed to fee-for-service, non-fee-for-service hospitals. I, I think most, if not all, hospitals are uh, definitely waking up to the idea that they will be compensated based on outcomes, right, and not based on service or uh, fee-for-service. So a lot of what we do is education, not for the healthcare provider and not for the patient, because I think that's the role of the hospital system, but actually for the hospital administrators. One trend that we're seeing is that many hospitals now have what they call VPs of patient experience. These executives are in charge of making sure that patients have a good experience when they go through their healthcare systems. And they usually work hand in hand with the CFOs and the CMOs of the hospitals. And because patient experience ultimately impacts reimbursements. If a patient, if your patients are giving you really low HCAP scores, then that's going to impact the reimbursement that you're getting from the government. So what we are doing is we are going to people like the VPs of patient experience or the chief financial officers, the chief medical officers, and actually doing calculations with them. So one calculation I can give it as, as an example is that national statistic is that Non-English speaking patients spend 20% longer in the ER than English speaking patients. I and mean, that's a huge number, right? Because the average 
ER visit is about 240 minutes, so about four hours, and 20% is close to 50 minutes. It's actually 48 minutes. So for every single non-English speaking patient who walks through your door, your hospital doors, um, they're spending an extra 50 minutes in the ER. And let's see how many non-English speaking patients do you have in a day? So we actually do that calculation for uh, hospitals and prove the point to them that this is a real problem. This is not a, this is not only a human problem, it's a bottom line problem that if you continue to look at language services and translations and communication as kind of like a fluffy thing that, you know, it's hard to measure. We don't know if that's the thing that's impacting readmissions and lengths of stay in, in, uh, in the ER or lengths of visit in the ER that we can actually show it to you. It is. And we do those calculations to really educate hospital executives and kind of get them to, to have real conversations based on numbers and how uh, language services can actually impact the bottom lines. Uh, so I've been making a little list here of the, the factors that you've been talking to. You know, one very common theme, and this is, is, is no secret, is that if you want something to happen, generally speaking, reimbursement needs to be tied to it. And a lot of the things that, that we're talking about here, when you mentioned the bottom line, really seemed very congruent with that idea. In other words, reducing the time spent in the ER obviously has a financial component. There are reimbursement incentives that are built around health disparities, for example, and the reduction of health disparities. Readmission is obviously a a core driver these days, reducing the number of readmissions. And that 70% number, you know, that that 70% of non-English speakers are, are more likely to be readmitted is, is huge. And then, of course, patient satisfaction uh, as a big part of, of, of HCAP. So it definitely seems like, you know, to your exact point, the trick would be to correlate the kind of soft translation communication to these larger factors, but it sounds like you have enough of um, correlations built that you've made some sort of model or algorithms reflecting that correlation. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So every single time we have a conversation with a new hospital who's thinking about bringing on board Canopy, we look at the model and we ask them, how many patients um, do you have? What percentage of them do not speak English? And we actually do that calculation for them. We make it very, very numbers driven instead of just talking about better communication as a goal, right? Because it's, it's so hard to measure better communication and its impact, but it's very easy to say, we know how much because of the language barrier, we know how much you're losing as a hospital, or how much um, you're not getting back in reimbursements as a hospital. This is one tool that can help you change that. And on another note, you know, we believe that improving communication with non-English speaking patients and having that actually be tied to the bottom line and impacting the bottom line is actually very low hanging fruit. Like I said, you know, earlier in this interview that there are very simple things that can be said to a patient to, for example, make sure that they don't think they have to come back to the emergency room for a, a symptom that they should be expecting after, let's say, a surgery. They should be expecting pain for the next three days in their abdomen after they had surgery. Then we need to tell the patient that. And once you tell the patient that, hopefully that discourages them from coming back to the ER when they experience some pain. So much of that is lost in translation and so much of that is not communicated 
that when we put the tools into healthcare providers' hand, that no longer gives them any excuse to say, you know what, that's I don't want to spend a couple of minutes getting a translator for that. They will use it, right? If it's easy for them to use, they will use it. If they think it's easy and it will also improve the quality of care for this patient, they will use it. So that is very, very low-hanging fruit. And that is the kind of thing that I think hospital executives are really looking for in, in order to really improve their operations or improve their bottom lines. And we present it that way to the hospital execs and we help them understand that. So if someone would like to learn more about Canopy apps, where should they turn? You can go on our website. It's www.canopyapps, that's C-A-N-O-P-Y-A-P-P-S.com. That's that's where we keep a lot of our information. And if you want to download the app, uh, there's a free trial version of the app on both the Apple App Store and also the Google Play Store. And you just search for a Canopy Medical Translator and you can find the app and test it out for yourself. Thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is also in that same right hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. Thank you.